This morning, we get to take on the task of uh, talking about the Pentecost or the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, um, and that is found in Acts chapter 2. And so what I want to do is just read uh, Acts 2, 1 to 13. The, the chapter is, is 47 verses long, but we're just going to take on a few of these verses this week uh, because this is such a, a significant uh, uh, event that happens in the lives of, of believers. So uh, let me just read for us the first 13 verses just to get some context here, and then, and then I'll pray, and then we'll jump in and, and see what it has to say. So it says, Acts 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now when they were dwelling in Jerusalem, dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at the sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not? All those who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that they, that they would hear each one in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Amphilia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors of Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues, the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying, in, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. Our Heavenly Father, we're about to jump into one of the most amazing events that happen in all of the Bible. For us to understand this, Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We cannot possibly understand these truths apart from your help. And it's to you that we depend on. Lord, I pray that you would, would give us understanding. You would impart new information, not into our minds, but deep into our hearts. That there would be transformation and sanctification as we walk out of here this morning, we would be closer to our son, to, to your son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you were to think back to a historical event that you would have loved to have been right next to watching, as they say, a fly on the wall, which historical event would you like to have gone to? Some would say I would have liked to have been there at the signing of the the Declaration of Independence, or would have been there for the, the Gettysburg Address. Maybe some of you sports fans would have been, liked to have gone back to the, the very first Super Bowl or to go back and to watch Kendrick Giffrey, Ken Griffey Jr. I should know this. I'm in Seattle. I should know this. <laughs> Playing the kingdom. Some of you would have liked to have said, hey, I would have gone back to that time when I, when I first had my first child. Maybe some of you church historians would have gone to, uh, back in time to, to watch Martin Luther pound those 95 theses on the, on the door there, starting uh, the Protestant Revolution. Some of you would have said, I would have loved to have been a shepherd 
there standing up in the fields when all the heavenly hosts came and announced that today would be the day that Jesus would be born. So many significant events that happened. Well, one of the most significant events that happened in the Bible is, is this one that we just read of. It's not often taught, but it's the incredible story of the first time that the Holy Spirit came and indwelled believers. And it didn't come without any sort of fanfare. There was quite a lot of action that happened. We read a lot of the, the action that took place. During this time, there was this sound, this incredible sound of a, a mighty rushing wind. There, there was this, this divided tongues of fire that, that rested on the head of believers. There was worshiping. There was confusion. There was new, these languages that were being, being spoken of. All kinds of sights and sounds and what it would have been like for us to have been on the hills of Jerusalem in our folding chair watching all of this unravel right before our eyes. It's an amazing event. The story of Pentecost is, is nothing ordinary. It is extraordinary. History altering because in this moment of Pentecost, God went from a relationship that existed outside of people, outside of believers, to now existing inside of believers. Everything would change for the believer at Pentecost. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to break this down into three sections for us, because I want us to really dive deep into understanding this incredible monumental event. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look first at the arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Then we're going to look at the filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then we'll look at, next week, the response of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But first, let's look at this. The arrival of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Look at verse 1. It says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered together in one place. What does that mean? What is Pentecost? What, what does that, that word mean? Why Pentecost? Well, the word Pentecost, it means the 50th. The 50th. What Pentecost was, was, was a celebration that, that was taken from the Old Testament. And there are three important Jewish feasts that took place. We know, we know them, or at least have heard of them. It is the, the Passover feast, the Feast of Weeks, which is this one, the Feast of Harvest, as well. And then the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This one, Pentecost, is the celebration of the Feast of Weeks that happens 50 days after Passover. Okay, 50 days after Passover, there was this feast. It was an agricultural feast or festival. Some called it the Harvest Festival, where the Jews would take their first fruits and bring them to the Lord in celebration of God's abundant provision. It was also a time to celebrate the receiving of the law at Mount Sinai. And every year, the Jews would go back and they would celebrate this feast or this festival. And every year, it was 50 days after Passover. In fact, in the Leviticus 23 in, in verse 15 and 16, which speaks of this, this feast, it says, You shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf and wave offering. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. 
Then you shall present a grain offering of a new grain to the Lord. Now, as you know, this last Passover was a very unique Passover. The last Passover was a time when Christ died on the cross. He would be the final Passover lamb, the the sacrificial lamb that would take away the sins of the world. And so now we're moving forward here. For 40 days, Jesus walked on the earth. For 40 days, he went back and was with his disciples teaching and preaching the gospel. After those 40 days, we looked at this. He ascended up into heaven, and now there's this 10-day gap between between the ascension of, of Jesus Christ to the coming of the Holy Spirit, but this was a perfectly timed event by God. It would happen on this, this celebration, on this day of Pentecost, when it would arrive. Some of your Bibles may say this, the day of Pentecost was fulfilled. When the day of Pentecost was fulfilled, some people ask, why did they wait 10 days? Why wasn't there this uh, immediately when Jesus went up into heaven that immediately the Holy Spirit came down to them? Well, uh, it is because that uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit would land on this particular day. It was a planned day. It was under the divine watch of God. It was not because the believers prayed enough and because they came came together in obedience to God's word that that God sent them the Holy Spirit. No, this day was planned before the foundations of the world that the Holy Spirit would arrive on Pentecost and he would empower them and he would would, uh, give them all, all the strength that they would need to go out and to spread the gospel. Now you have to remember something. That is unique to Pentecost is that in the Old Testament, when we think about God's relationship to people in the Old Testament, God's relationship was through prophets. It was through priests. It was was through kings. It wasn't a relationship with his people like it would be at Pentecost. God would, in the Old Testament, temporarily show up at different places at different times for example, he would come into the Holy of Holies or the tabernacle, and he would tabernacle with his people there. He would meet with Moses where? At the top of, of Mount Sinai, and he'd be there for a moment, and his glory would, would depart. He would, he would be in the temple there for, for moments at a time. He would speak through prophets to, to get to his people, and the priests would speak back to God uh, for, his, for the people to speak uh, to God. And then in the New Testament, that changed because God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth. And it says in John 1.14 that, that Jesus Christ tabernacled with his people. So the glory of God was on full display with God's people during that time. But now everything would change at Pentecost because God would no longer be beside his people at Pentecost. God would now indwell his people. This is massive. This is game-changing. The God of heaven would come down and now dwell within his people, have a relationship with them in such a unique way that he would be with them forever, permanently with his people forever. No more temporary residence in in the lives or beside God's people. He would now indwell them permanently. This is brand new. This is a new dispensation. This is a, a, a new era. All of this happened when the day of Pentecost arrived. A celebration was happening. There was lots of people in Jerusalem 
But here we're told this in verse 1, that they were all together in one place. Who are we talking about? Well, we're talking about uh, the apostles here. We're talking about all 12 of them. We're also talking about verse 14, those who were with them, Mary, mother of Jesus and his brothers. We're also talking about the 120, which is the totality of believers during that time. All of them were gathered into one place in one single area waiting on Jesus, waiting on the Holy Spirit. Adrian Rogers says this pithy little statement. He says this, you can save a lot of time by waiting on God. I like that. You can save a lot of time by waiting on God. They waited 10 days. And look what happened. They're all together in one place, verse 2. And what happens? Suddenly, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. It says there that this sound of a mighty rushing wind came through. It came without any sort of warning. It was immediately. It was a sound. You couldn't see it. It was, it was like that of, of wind ripping through uh, the room, a mighty rushing wind. It, it filled the entire house where, where they were sitting. And this idea here and this understanding here of why there would be this wind is because wind is an, an emblem for the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, there's multiple references of, of the Spirit coming as the wind or, or the sound of wind, knowing that it was uh, the movement of the Holy Spirit. The meeting of the divine and humanity is all often found with this idea of wind, and, the, and here it's, a, it's just the sound of rushing wind. They couldn't, they couldn't see anything, but they could hear it. And this sound it, 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 here, as it says, it's a, it's a mighty rushing wind. Just think of, think of the sound of a hurricane. It's that loud. It would have been so obvious, and it would have been been central to this room where, the, where all these people were. They, they knew something was about to happen or something was, was going to happen because they were awakened and alerted to this mighty rushing wind, this, this hurricane-like sound that, that rips through the room. And not only that, this mighty rushing wind filled the entire house where they were sitting, and then you've got this divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and it rested on their head. What in the world is that? Divided tongues of fire resting on the heads of the believers. Why, why is it this? Well, fire here, this tongues of fire would rest on the heads of each of, of the believers, and one, it was to identify who the believers were. Looking around the room going, if you don't have that, that thing on your head, whatever that is, yeah, you, you should worry right now. Because we're identifying who the believers are, and it was identified by this tongue of fire that would have been, been easily identifiable because it was so unique and so different. It would identify the believers, and it would unite the believers as each of them would see this rested on top of them. 
When it comes to fire, it's not unusual for God to come as fire. In fact, all the way back in Genesis 15, 17, uh, we find even in the the covenant of, of Abraham that there was a smoking fire pot. This was, this was very uh, usual for God to display himself as fire. And even in Exodus uh, chapter 3 and verse 2, you know that, uh, that as the Israelites were moving around uh, Egypt, uh, the way they were led was at night was by what? A, a pillar of what? A pillar of fire. In Exodus 13, 21 on Mount Sinai, there was smoke there. There's fire there. In Exodus 40 and verse 38, there's, there's fire even in the temple. In the Old Testament, God's people were, were not able to come close to this fire. They were not able to touch this fire. There was a, you could say there was a, a divine distance to the fire because you're in, in the presence of God. In fact, you couldn't even look at it sometimes. As was the case with Moses when he just wanted to see God. He just wanted to, to see his glory. And God says, anybody who sees me would die. And so he, he passed by just the backside of him. Oftentimes, uh, a fire would, would mean judgment, fire would mean death. But here, when we see tongues of fire that is, that is placed on the, the head of each believer, God would not kill them, God would not annihilate them, but rather this would be to display the presence of God, which now is on the individual, which will eventually move to inside the individual. As believers now would become the new temple of his glory, the light of God, the presence of God, the the consuming fire of God would now dwell within each one of the believers. And so as there in this room, 120 of them hearing the sound of this, this mighty rushing wind, they would see these Tongues of fire rested on on each one of them. They knew in that moment that, you look back, Acts 1-5 was fulfilled. Acts 1-8 was fulfilled. Look at verse 5 of Acts 1. It says this. Or even starting in verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait For the promise of the Father, which he said, you had heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What happened in this moment, this, this unique moment when the first time the Holy Spirit comes down and indwells 120 believers? What's happening here is the fulfillment of this, that from now on, these believers would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? To be baptized with the Holy Spirit is to be completely immersed by the Holy Spirit. When you think of baptism, it's a complete immersion. That's what the word, the word means. It means to be immersed, engulfed. And this is what was happening here. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, he, he immersed their lives. He, he, he came and engulfed their lives entirely. 
You say, well, well, when the Holy Spirit came upon him now, were they believers before this time? Well, yeah, we know they're believers before this time. We know that they believe. We've been told that they believe. But now, in this unique moment, at this time, which we call Pentecost now, they would, they would now receive the Holy Spirit. They'd be baptized in it. And listen, this would set the example and the pattern for every believer that would follow. They would be first immersed by the Holy Spirit, baptized by the Holy Spirit. This has never happened before. It's even the fulfillment of what John the Baptist said in Matthew uh, chapter 3 and, and verse 11, where it says, He who is coming after me is mightier than I. I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so this baptism of the Holy Spirit, as we understand it now, out of this, this first understanding of seeing it here in Pentecost, is we know that, that when someone comes to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they are immersed with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit. And this new era and this new dispensation would now begin. And the believer is set free from sin. And the believer is united in one body, in one spirit. And listen, in this moment, the church began. In this moment, believers were united together like never before. One person has this little, little quote that I thought was helpful. It says, Bethlehem was God with us. Calvary was God for us. Pentecost is God in us. Romans chapter 8 and verse 9 says this, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of God does not belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify by God in your body. And this is what's happening. It's moved from, from God's presence generally amongst believers to God's presence individually amongst believers. This is what makes so special singing holy, holy, holy. That moment you just had singing holy, holy, holy with other believers is because you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and you are united into one body in one spirit. And your body now, listen so closely, your body is a temple of the living God. You are now the place where God's Spirit resides within you. I said it a couple of weeks ago because Jesus said it thousands, uh, uh, thousands of years ago. It is better for Jesus not to be here because you get the Holy Spirit within you. Do you recognize that unity that you have with God? 1 Corinthians 12, 12 and 13 says it in such a similar way. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members, 
and all the members of the body, though many are, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. This is how we get the body of Christ. This is how it works. We have union with him. We all have the spirit of the living God within us. Every believer united together, one family, one body, and it is because of the Holy Spirit. This is what makes Pentecost so unique and so special is that this set the course for all believers moving forward. This moment, the church began. This is our history, church. It began right here. And not only that, when the Holy Spirit came upon us, what make it, made it unique and different in this new era and in this new dispensation is that when the Holy Spirit comes, by, comes into and indwells a believer, listen, church, the Holy Spirit makes up permanent residence within you. Permanent residence within you. That's different. That's unique. I want you to see this with me. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 all the way down to verse 14, you find the unique roles of, the Holy, uh, of God the Father in salvation. I want to tie together why Pentecost and why, why the role of the Holy Spirit. This is so fascinating. Look at Ephesians 1, verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him. What happened when you believed in him? Church, what does it say? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 14, which is what? Which is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit in your life, and now you are sealed with him as the inheritance, as the guarantee of your salvation. No one can tamper with that seal. No one can break that seal. Not one demonic power can break that seal. You are sealed for all time. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 22, it says this, and, and you who has also put his seal on us and given us, what? His spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So here it is. Let me tie Pentecost and the festival of first fruits to you at, at, at Pentecost, or it was a celebration of of this harvest festival, they would bring their first fruits as a sign to the Lord of the abundance of what God has given to us. At Pentecost, God gives us his Holy Spirit as the first fruits of the guarantee of our salvation. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? He didn't just say, oh, Pentecost, festival of agricultural time. Let's just use that date. Seems like a good date. 50 days later, let's just throw that out there. Let's see if, see if anybody takes to it. No, divinely planned of God. That this would be the time when you receive Christ and the Holy Spirit is sealed to your life and, you, and he permanently dwells within you. 
So that when you pass from this world or, or Jesus returns and you go and you stand before God, what God looks at is this. Do you have the seal of the Holy Spirit on your heart? Not do you have enough accomplishments. Not have I acquired enough possessions here in this world. Not have I done enough to earn, earn heaven. No, he looks to see if you've been sealed with his promised Holy Spirit. Which also means this. That if the Holy Spirit is not within you, then, then listen ever so carefully. I love you too much not to say this. If the Holy Spirit is not within you, then you are not a Christian. There's no such thing as a Christian who has not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. And you need to take inventory on your heart and on your life. Because all believers moving forward from Pentecost have been baptized and immersed in the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantee, the first fruits of the inheritance that you have, the down payment that you have that will be received in full when you meet God the Father and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to see this. That's the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Then look at verse 4. I want you to see the filling of the Holy Spirit. It says this in verse 4, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll get to the second half of this verse next week. And the rest, hopefully, down to verse 13 next week. But I want to talk about what this means. The filling of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, as we say, a mighty rushing wind, hurricane-like wind. Storm comes through there. They, 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 they hear it. They don't see it. But then they, they see these divided tongues of fire resting on them. So you've got the, the hearing. You've got the seeing. They know that the Holy Spirit has come. And then it says uh, that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Since you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, now you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit if you have not been baptized by the Holy Spirit. The filling comes after the baptizing. In fact, the believers are just waiting around and the baptism of the Holy Spirit even often comes unexpectedly. <laughs> and you don't even know it's coming. You're not even asking for it. God just assaults the will of the sinner and says, hey, you now are being baptized as he did with Paul. The filling of the Holy Spirit is different. In fact, you could say this, the filling of the Holy Spirit, or give it a definition, is an event after salvation where the believer daily yields their life in submission, obedience, and control of the Holy Spirit. All right, this is different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit occurs one time, never happened before the day of Pentecost. It is true for all believers. It results in a, in a position. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a repeated experience. It cannot be lost. It results in power, and it's because of a daily depending or, or yielding upon the Holy Spirit. Well, I want to do something. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, because there's a good contrast here to help us understand what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because this is what happened here to these believers. 
They were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5, in verse 18 and 19, it says this. And do not get drunk with wine, for that leads to debauchery. But what? Underline it. Be filled with the Spirit. So the contrast is this. Don't get intoxicated with something or put into your body something that will take over your life to cause you to do things that you would not otherwise do. Rather, fill your life with the Holy Spirit. Cover yourself in the Holy Spirit. In fact, it, it's a, it, the verb here, to, to, to be filled, it has the idea of be being filled, keep being filled, continually be filled by the Holy Spirit. This is a, a daily yielding to the Spirit, submitting your life to, to God. Asking of the word of God to dwell in you richly. In fact, that's exactly what it says in in Colossians 3.16. It says, let the word of God dwell in you richly. You're allowing God's word to seep into your heart so that you are controlled by God. You've yielded your life to God. You say, why are are, are we we so intent on on asking of you in in your disciplines to be in the word of God? Because you can't separate yielding to the Spirit and not reading your Bible. If you're not reading your Bible, you're going to have a hard time yielding to the Spirit because as you dwell on the Word of God, your heart and your mind and your life begins to submit to God and His Word, and you are filled up with the Holy Spirit. And we need to understand this as well. That this is not a mystical experience. Church, listen closely. We are not chasing goosebumps. We are not chasing feelings. I don't trust my own feelings. We're not chasing feelings. We're we're chasing truths. We're being informed by truth. and, And whatever feelings come from being informed by truth is you could say even icing on top of the cake. But we chase truth, we, we yield the truth, we, we find ourselves in the Word of God, and yes, as we, as we pour our hearts and minds and our lives in this, and as, a, as the Holy Spirit overwhelms us, yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to respond in, in, in some sort of emotion. But we don't put the emotion in front of truth. We don't chase feelings, we don't chase goosebumps. We chase truth. We search for truth. We yield ourselves to the word of God. And yielding to the word of God, we submit to the truth in total surrender to God. And when we're in total surrender to God, the Holy Spirit fills up our lives. This is found all throughout the book of Acts, by the way. In Acts chapter 4, let me just read this off to you. It'll be up on the screen. In Acts chapter 4, Peter is found filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4.31, the disciples prayed and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 6, 3 and 5, the deacons were men of good repute, full or good reputation, full of the Spirit. A man named Stephen was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. He was filled up by the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Paul, again in Acts 13, filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Listen, church, if you're trying to live the Christian life apart from being filled with the Holy Spirit, you set your day and your week and your course of life on a path that's going to end in a ditch. Every day, we submit to the Holy Spirit. We depend on His power. Just imagine the early church thinking that they could do the Lord's work apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. They're like, no, we're waiting for a reason. Because we can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts 1.8 says that you're going to receive it. When the Spirit comes, what's going to happen? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. D.L. Moody says this. Listen to this and we'll be done here quickly. D.L. Moody said this. You might as well try to see without eyes, hear without ears, or breathe without lungs as to try to live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit. What is he saying? It's impossible to live the Christian life apart from the Holy Spirit. John Stott says this, without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver, no understanding without the spirit of truth, no fellowship without the unity of the spirit, no Christ-likeness of character, apart from his fruit, and no effective witness without his power. As a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the Spirit is dead. The same is true for the believer. So my encouragement to you this morning, church, as we understand this radical new dispensation of the the Holy Spirit coming and baptizing believers is, are you living your life dependent upon the Holy Spirit? Or are you living your life dependent upon your own power, your own ability, your own talent? And as a church, we need to be committed to living our life and running our church dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll look closer at even what that means and what it doesn't mean. Because as you know, there's a lot of places and a lot of churches that that want to drive your feelings as if your feelings are the things that motivate you into sharing the gospel. And so if we can just set up a place where our feelings are highlighted, If I can just get everybody to to walk out of here highly motivated with a good pep talk, then they'll all go do the work of missions. When God's word says, no, what I need them to do is be filled up with the Holy Spirit, and then they'll go do the work of missions because then they're empowered to do the work of missions. Two different philosophies. And so what we want to be here at our church is one that is dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit, which takes individuals who need to be dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. So next week, we'll look at the response then in verses 4 to 13. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you for this amazing truth. Lord, thank you for sending to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. To think that God dwells within us. That you've empowered us to do the work of the ministry. Lord, may may we take these truths even more seriously than maybe we have in the past. Maybe these are things we've we've heard or things we've known. May may this morning then just be a a refresher time of encouragement to, to, to even say, you know what, when I wake up tomorrow, I am going to yield my life to the Spirit and His direction and His and His leading. And would you encourage our hearts, Lord, as we live Spirit-filled lives. Empower us for the work of the ministry. Empower us to be those who have the courage to share the gospel, the, the love that it takes to to love our neighbors as ourselves. To be patient and forgiving. and All those fruits of the Spirit that, that come to our mind, love, joy, peace, all of that is an overflow of our lives living filled with the Spirit each day. What a gift. What a treasure. So help us, Lord, to depend more and more and more on you each day. In Jesus' name, amen.